Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with iREIT, and I'm back again with another CEO uh, roundtable interview. Uh, of course, I'm here today with Bill Meany. Bill is the CEO of Iron Mountain, ticker symbol is IRM. Uh, Bill, thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Well, Bill, I know we were, we, uh, were, were uh, on back in the first quarter uh, earnings. Now we're into the second quarter. Uh, potentially, hopefully, it's just the worst part of the COVID cycle. Uh, at a high level, could you update us on kind of what you've seen in the second quarter and how you see uh, Iron Mountain's business model going forward? You know, thanks, Brad. I think the last time we, we spoke, we said that we thought that Q2 would be the, the low point. I would say even in Q2, now that we've had the print, is April was the low point within Q2. And, and I wouldn't say a bounce back in May and in June, but, you know, kind of steady, you know, starting off the, off the base. And I think it's going to be you know, not that there's, I don't think it's going to be a straight line recovery. I don't think it's going to be a bounce back recovery. Um, you know, I think, you know, medically, we're probably in uh, a COVID environment until this time next year. At least that's our, you know, our thinking. And then, you know, a starting to recover from that point. But, the, you know, it is a gradual uptick has company, uh, country, companies, states, municipalities, and countries are starting to come out of what was a severe lockdown to a gradual reopening. And then of course, you know, the advantage that we have is because we're a B2B company and we were considered essential. You know, the worst part is, worst part of the crisis that 96% of our facilities were still open, not, you know, not at the same activity levels that we've seen in the past. And now 100% of our facilities are up and running and, and open for business. So, you know, it's, it's steady as you go, but I think it is Q2 ended up being a little bit better than we thought, um, but more because we started to see an improvement in May and June. Great. Well, I know you, uh, of course, announced your Project Summit uh, initiatives, um, I guess it was 2019. Uh, can you give us an update on kind of how that's playing out and, um, you know, what, what do you see right now with, with regard to the initiatives uh, with the Project Summit? Yeah, and, and we, you know, as, as say on the Q1 call, we had updated, you know, upsized the, the summit because like any of these programs is when you go into them is you, you guide the market to what you know you can get, but a program this size, obviously we did expect to get more and we did. So, you know, if you look at just 2020 is we're well on track to the 150 million in-year benefit that we expect for 2020. And if you look at where we were by Q2 is in Q2, we had 65 million of in-year benefits. So you know, just annualizing that's 130. So there's another 20 million that we expect to get on top of what the run rate improvement from, from Summit is at the end of Q2, which you know, we feel highly confident about. Um, and then if you look at overall the program being 375 million for the full program, again, we have a high level of confidence on that. A number of those programs are, we're laying the foundation now, which you know, we're going to a global business services platform where we'll have standardized, um, you know, first rung uh, service centers in key locations across the globe. Uh, we have a, an executive we just appointed in charge that she, she was running our tread business before. You know, terrific executive and has a lot of experience in process and process management. So we think, you know, we're, we really like that program. We're also making a lot of IT investments associated with that. So we have pretty good line of sight, what I would call on the systems improvement, which is the next chunk to, uh, to come out of Summit. Great. And, and can you talk a little bit about the balance sheet? I did see in the second quarter, you announced a $2.4 billion 
a bond offering. Uh, can you talk about how that uh, potentially enhanced your liquidity profile and, and uh, improved your balance sheet? Yeah, so what I should do is, and, and since the Q2 uh, announcement, we also refinanced another 1.1 billion. So, so this was all retiring or, or refreshing our, uh, our debt. So it wasn't increasing the leverage, so it was all leverage neutral. And you know, between the 2.4 billion that we did in June and the follow on 1.1, a couple things. One is we now have all of our um, bonds lined up at a, at a uh, seven times EBITDA uh, covenant or better. Um, uh, the, the newer ones are on a fixed charge basis, so it's even, it even calculates better than seven times EBITDA. So, you know, so first of all, in terms of headroom on the balance sheet, we, um, you know, we've actually moved things from six, and some of them were six and a half, and we've moved them up to seven. Um, the other thing is, is that, you know, the, the latest one, just to give you a kind of an appetite, is we did a long 10 or 10 and a half year maturity of four and a half percent. Um, which again says the debt markets really get the durability message of Iron Mountain. Um, you know, that was, you know, it was a fantastic result in this, this environment to raise 1.1 billion, um, as they say for 10 and a half years at, at four and a half percent. So we were really pleased with that. And then from a liquidity standpoint, you know, we don't have a liquidity issue in the, in the company per se, but we did, um, we used that as an opportunity, not just to, um, uh, take out some of the the older bonds that were at six and a half, but we also recharged the revolver a little bit along the way. I think about three hundred, uh, two to three hundred million. Um, we but we still have plenty of room on the revolver. So, um, but the the main thing was really just to to take advantage of the interest rates, lengthening the maturity, making sure that we had kind of the the stair step that we wanted in terms of our our debt portfolio. And then to say at four and a half percent to do a long 10, we were pretty pleased. Great. Well, I know, you know, one of the initiatives and certainly a catalyst that we've uh, written about quite a bit is the um, movement into the data business. Um, you know, that seems to be a, a, a big, bigger part of your, your overall business model. How do you, in terms of your cost of capital today, um, you know, how do you view this, your, your, you know, your cost of capital? I know on the equity side, you know, it's been challenging, um, but um, done a good job on the debt side. But in terms of your kind of weighted average cost of capital, um, and I, I wanted you to address, if you, if you don't mind, the real estate. You know, I know I've written about this quite a bit, recognizing that Iron Mountain has a fairly significant amount of real estate on its balance sheet um, that potentially could be utilized um, for sell leasebacks and uh, uh, in a more efficient manner. I'm just curious, how would you address that cost of capital in regards to the, um, to the own real estate as well? Yeah, no, it's a great question. There's probably like three or four questions of points in your, in your overall statement. I said, let me kind of back up in terms of the need for capital, where we're deploying it to your point is on data center is, you know, where we commit, we continue to be super pleased on data center. So if you look at the business, this is absent summit, you know, obviously summit's driving a huge uh, spurt in EBITDA growth. But if you look at just what the base business generates, it's about 4% organic EBITDA growth, it's a little bit better than 4%. And before we got into this year, is data center, whilst it's only about you know, 7, 8% of our revenue, was driving a third of that organic, just, just under a third of that organic EBITDA growth. So it's already a big part of the growth story going forward in terms of Iron Mountain, which you know, we think longer term will unleash the equity value, right? Um, because you know, not many stocks that just can 
grind out 4% organic EBITDA growth. Now, so then you kind of fast forward, how are we doing this year with data center? To your point is that we guided the market that we would lease up 15 to 20 megawatts this year. And we came in in the first half just under 39, right? 38 and change. So, so you know, clearly we're having a lot of success in that in data center, even beyond what our expectations were. And um, there's an opportunity to deploy even more capital. So then you say, okay, well, you know, um, unfortunately, the good Lord hasn't blessed us with a share price that I feel, if, you know, it's good to go out there and issue equity. Um, the, the, the one, oh, there's my phone, I guess, sorry about that. Um, but the one thing that I would say is that even if we did have a share price is you have to kind of look at, you know, you might be able to issue at 17, 18, 19 is multiple, but it doesn't mean that's what your cost of equity is, right? So equitizing over the long run um, data centers, is, you, you do want to look at alternative capital. And what, so I, the way we think about data center funding going forward is obviously we have the financial beast, the mature records business that spins off a lot of cash that not only pays the dividend is we're able to extract money and put it over in data center. So we continue to see, you know, the 200 million plus, you know, 200 to 300 million a year that we can continue to deploy that way. I think the second aspect about that is uh, assets that are at or nearing um, maturity or I say stabilization, those are a good opportunity to put them into a joint venture because we would rather put our capital and data center on the ones that have a development profile because you know we understand the risk and obviously the returns are higher on a site that are going through a development spurt, right? So, you know, we continue, you know, we, we, we announced that we've actually sold um, upfront during the construction, all of the Frankfurt data center sites. So we continue to stay on track and our expectation is we will put that into a joint venture because now that's a fully stabilized asset, right? So we could then take that money and deploy it in higher return data center um, opportunities down the road. And then the last aspect which you're raising, which is a great point is, you know, we, you know, guided the market that we think that we'll have about 100 million of, of recycling this year of industrial real estate, which we can do sale lease back, in some cases exit, right? Um, and what we found right now is you say, okay, do, do we think we're going to do more of that? I think the, the expectation is we probably will do a bit more. Um, because if you look at where industrial cap rates are trading right now, you know, um, you know, we're not saying industrial real estate is a bad investment, but it's pretty well priced right now. And the returns that we can get by putting that into data center is just that much better. And, and the other aspect about it is, is that, you know, when we take a lease and we do lease adjusted um, leverage, we, we capitalize that at six and a half turns, right? So now the arbitrage between what we can sell industrial real estate, and as you say, we have a couple billion dollars worth of industrial real estate. So the arbitrage of what we can sell that for and create even more headroom in our debt, you know, profile, you know, it seems to me, you know, there, there is an opportunity to make sense to be putting that work, you know, putting it to work at things where we're getting, let's say on a blended basis, 12% cash on cash returns, right? So, so that's how we kind of, I think about it's kind of a long way getting to your point, but, um, you know, we do think we, you know, we've continued to recycle some of our industrial portfolio. If you've watched the story for a long time, I think last year was about 150. This year we got in the market around 100. And I think you could expect where cap rates are now is we'll do at least that. But, you know, we are looking at more as well. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, you know, I cover net lease uh, REITs and I uh, was a net lease developer for a while. Uh, 
And so I know that space really well. And obviously, when you look at that sector and the growth, we actually had two, uh, two companies listed. Well, one company listed last week in the net lease space. I think we'll have another one this week. Um, so there's certainly been a tremendous amount of you know, demand of capital you know, entering the net lease, especially as I look back over the last you know, 10 years or so. And now with, with this low, low rate environment, uh, these net lease REITs are really uh, continuing to, uh, to seek out opportunities. It just seems like a very natural fit. And of course, the other side of that is, you know, I, you're right, I cover industrial uh, as well. And those cap rates are, are, are fairly attractive, especially for some of those larger net lease REITs. And then you look at the data center sector, which obviously uh, I think what we all want to see uh, is as Iron Mountain began to trade on a, you know, more like a data center REIT uh, than a diversified REIT, right? And so I think, I think by monetizing that real estate and deploying it uh, strategically and tactfully into, you know, data centers, I think could really, uh, you know, drive this, uh, drive this multiple. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the data center business? I know that's kind of the exciting, uh, you know, uh, part of the business model and kind of how do you see, you know, the growth opportunities, um, you know, within the data center business? Um, I mean, I know you obviously you've got such a diversified business model, uh, you know, with, with global uh, 1,400, almost 1,500 facilities worldwide. Where do, you, where do you see the best opportunities in the data business? So, no, it's a great question. So I think that the, there's kind of a, a couple parts of that. So, you know, we're really pleased by the traction that we're starting to get. You know, I think a couple of years ago, people said, oh, Iron Mountain's getting into the data center space. They're not known for that. Um, I think, you know, we were just, you know, I, I wouldn't say fighting to get into the deal flow, but, you know, we had to let people know that we were in there. And then now we're, we're kind of firmly established. You know, we've got a pretty good global footprint. We're, you know, actually one of the most globalized footprints, but it's not surprising because in our legacy business, we're in 50 countries, over 50 countries. But, you know, now that being in Singapore, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, um, the UK, you know, two sites now in, in Slough, and then, of course, our, our U.S. portfolio. So, you know, we're getting to a good reputation, both with hyperscale and what I would, in, in the normal retail or, or co-location environment. So, and, and you can see that given what we did in the first half. I said, you know, we, we basically um, did, you know, 2x um, what we thought we were going to do in the whole year, in the first half of the year. So we feel really, really good about that. Um, you know, the, the returns still, yeah, hyperscale returns on a cash, you know, cash on cash basis, you're around eight, right? So those are a bit skinny, but um, that's all before leverage. It also gives you the ability to stabilize a large campus much faster, which you can boost the returns on that side. And, you know, we still look at kind of 12% blended returns on large campuses where we have a combination of hyperscale and colo. So we feel really good about the returns. We feel really good about the pipeline and the opportunity. I think to your point is that the other part is we do see getting a bigger presence in the, in the data center business is to get fully valued on the traditional side of the business as well, right? Because if you think about it today, you know, we're an 8% dividend yield um, pre-Summit. So forgetting about what Summit gives us additional, right, is we've been printing over the last, what, six, eight quarters, 4% organic EBITDA growth or better, right? Um, which just from a TSR standpoint, you add an 8% dividend yield, you know, that's a 12% TSR if, you know, multiples flat, right? It doesn't make any sense. So 
you know, the, the thing is, I, I know that people may not think it's sexy storing paper and storing physical things, but I'll tell you, it's a hell of a good business, right? And, you know, part of, I think, the magic of unlocking the value of Iron Mountain is not data center being bigger than the legacy business, but people fully valuing the traditional side of the business because they're not worried about it going away, right? You know, right. You know, you know it's that, you know, I, it probably infuriates people that we keep printing 4% organic EBITDA growth because they say, how can you do that storing physical stuff? But it's still a very, very good business. And yeah, I mean, we get part of that growth by price, um, you know, in, in volume growth in the emerging markets, slightly negative in the other markets, um, and then building in some consumer. But it's a business that has a long runway that can drive that type of growth. So, you know, the, the data, for our view on the data center business is it needs to be big enough so that people don't worry about the traditional side of the business and fully value what it delivers on a cash flow basis. At least that's, you know, that's our view because, you know, the, the business can trade at a much higher multiple um, just on what it's performing today. Yeah. Well, I want to, that, that kind of leads me to one, one final point here is, um, you know, and, and I've covered this quite a bit and it's amazing whenever I write an article and I'll get a lot of comments just about that core business model, which is really the box, you know, the box model. And, you know, the fact that, you know, 50% of your boxes stay in your facilities for 15 years on average. So it's a very sticky part of your business model. You've got such a large part of that. And obviously the real opportunity is unlocking, you know, these, 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 these customers that have been around a long, long time. But can you kind of debunk for me Bill, the, the, the argument I get quite a bit, and I'm sure you get this, that paper is dying and boxes are no longer going to be necessary for storage. So in a couple sentences or less, um, you know, can you kind of you know, tell, our, tell our audience here why you think the Iron Mountain's core business model is there to stay? Yeah, look, I think like, no business model is there to stay forever, right? Um, you know, I, I think we all kind of understand that. In, in tech companies, we see it all the time, right? I mean, and, and even pharmaceutical companies, right? What's a blockbuster drug today is a generic tomorrow, and they need another blockbuster, right? So I wouldn't say we're immune in that our you know, business models are static. But to your point is that if you think about, okay, so we're in the midst of COVID, right? And we were down about 1.8 million cubic feet in the quarter year over year. Um, that was offset by 2 million growth in terms of consumer, which is an area that we just went in. So, you know, the record storage business was down 3.8 million cubic feet. So, and this is in the depths of COVID. So, so let's take even a worst case scenario, right? You say, okay, it doesn't get better, right? We exit COVID and it stays like COVID. Is your minus 12 million cubic feet um, before you start adding consumer, but this is on a base of 750 million cubic feet where we're pushing, let's say on average, 3% price growth every year, right? So the, even if the business is, is in slight decline, first of all, you know, on a 750 million cubic feet, that's a fairly slight decline. On the other side is that, you know, consumer is starting to become a bigger and bigger offsetting portion of it. So the thing is take a step back and you say, okay, over the next 10 years, do I see the profile of the cash generation of this business in the legacy part of the business, or the traditional side of the business changing at all? Is there anything in danger of Iron Mountain to be able to continue to hit 4% organic EBITDA growth, even with a small data center business that's becoming a bigger part, right? It's, you know, today it's a third of our 4% organic EBITDA growth. You know, five years time, it'll be that much bigger proportion, right? So 
So the thing is, is the, the thing I would say is in the next 10 years, the Iron Mountain financial model is rock solid, right? In other words, is there a risk to that 4% EBITDA growth? I don't see how, you know, even in the scenario that I gave you, which I don't think anyone thinks that we're going to track, even if people who are, who are bare on Iron Mountain's traditional business model, I don't think any of them are going to say we're going to stay at um, COVID activity levels forever. You know, people will debate, will you bounce back to the way you were before or whatever, but let, let's not even have that debate. Let's just say it stays at that level. Can our financial business model handle that kind of drag and continues to drive 4% plus organic EBITDA growth before you add Summit on top, right? So, you know, so my, my kind of view is that, you know, the financial model is rock, rock solid. People might not like what we do, right? You know, the fact that, you know, it's not as sexy as selling phones or, you know, IT equipment, but it, it's pretty good. And the whole time that financial beast gives us two other things. One is, you know, the cross-selling opportunity. So, you know, I, you know, before we got on the call, I was talking, we were talking about this, uh, this president, chief operating officer of, of a, a large global bank. And, um, you know, we do both data centers for them and boxes, right? And at one point, I was speaking to him during the depths of the crisis. This was back in March or April. And he was like laughing because I see four of your boxes sitting in the corner of my office, right? You know, part of the reason why we have the data center business is because of the trust that we've built with them over decades on being a reliable partner for things that we don't know what's in the box, but it's super important to them, right? Whether it's for litigation or for customer reach. And then on the other side is the financial aspect. It's a 75% gross margin business, right? So, you know, every morning I get up and put my feet on the floor, there's a pile of quarters there, right? Because each of these boxes gets about a quarter a month and there's a pile of them sitting there at my feet. And I didn't do anything except snore all night, right? So, you know, and that gives us money. You know, if you think about from a data center standpoint where we have a, an advantage versus some of our peers that are more longer established in the data center is we have that customer relationship and we have a mature business that throws off quarters like a laundromat, right? That I can then actually not only pay the dividend, but redeploy in the data center business because the data center business is a capital hungry business, right? So, you know, to me, look, you know, I'm, I'm vested in the business. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm not a big shareholder, but I'm as big as I can afford to be. <laughs> and my kids and my wife are counting on me, but uh, you know, there's a lot of value to be unleashed just, you know, executing what we have in front of us. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a shareholder too, not, not huge, but uh, you know, my kids and my wife are also counting on it too, uh, counting on you as well, Bill. And last question, um, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, interesting things going on in the mall sector, specifically, I guess, the mall, the, uh, in, in the mall REIT space. A number of these companies, and actually in the prison sector more recently, where CoreCivic is moving back from their, you know, from the, they went from C-Corp to REIT, now they're going back to C-Corp. Now, Iron Mountain started out as a C-Corp and then converted to a REIT uh, with the private letter ruling, allowing, you know, the business model to really be the racking system is really what I'm referring to, to be a REIT. So you've, you've, you've uh, been a REIT for a number of years. We, of course, have been following the company since you converted, since uh, Iron Mountain converted to a REIT. Um, you just announced, I believe, a, a, a modest dividend increase. So you've, you've certainly uh, have been utilizing this REIT model 
which is, you know, REITs are required for those uh, listening, REITs are required to pay out at least 90% of their taxable income in the form of dividends. So Iron Mountain has been able to successfully grow this dividend. You had a modest dividend increase. Um, kind of, can you talk about how you feel about the safety of that dividend today? And, and looking back at the company as a, obviously certain investors haven't really appreciated Iron Mountain from an equity multiple perspective. Um, hopefully that's going to change, but could you address the dividend safety and your, your business model as a REIT? Okay, so let me deal with the, talk about the REIT aspect and then, because it's linked to the dividend. So you know, we feel really happy about being a REIT because you know, before we became a REIT, we were an income oriented stock. Right. And we think that the REIT construct, besides the, the tax advantage, obviously the tax advantage isn't as big since the latest round of tax reform, but it's still, it's still important to us. Um, you know, but we think in terms of the investor outreach and the, the people who like to hold and understand a company like Iron Mountain, it gives us a broader, a, a broader audience. Right. And it's, and it's consistent to our capital allocation model. You know, the, the REIT capital allocation model or the income oriented uh, capital allocation model to us has a lot of, you know, uh, uh, reinforcement, right? So we, don't, we, we see that that makes, makes a lot of sense for, for a number of reasons. So then you come to the, the, the uh, dividend. So you're right, last year we increased coming into this year the dividend slightly. This year we've said we're keeping it flat as we glide down to kind of the low, low to mid 60s of AFFO. We're at about 80% of AFFO, which from an industrial read is, is probably okay. Um, but if you look at where we're allocating more of our capital, it's more in the data center. And if you look at the data center REITs, they're kind of usually as a percentage of AFFO kind of in the 60s, right? So we think that's probably where we should glide. But that being said, is we're absolutely committed to the dividend. In other words, you know, we, we made a firm statement in the depths of, of COVID back in May that we were keeping the dividend. And, um, you know, we just announced in our Q2, again, you know, declaring the dividend. And we gave guidance to the market that we expect as we, you know, as we um, uh, bring on Summit, that will naturally glide down to the 60s and then start growing dividend as, uh, um, in line with that kind of payout ratio. So I think what people can expect is kind of a flattish dividend, not a cut, you know, mm -hmm. um, flat dividend going forward as we glide into the kind of the 60% sweet spot as we're allocating more capital, more similarly as you would expect from a from a data center REIT, but we feel pretty good about that. And of course, we get there pretty fast with, on the back of Summit. You know, so where Summit does, it changes um, markedly that slope coming from roughly an 8% payout ratio down into the 60s. Great. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been very helpful uh, to, to me and I'm sure our, our, read it, our audience as well. And uh, you know, I want to wish you the best. We'll be in we'll be in touch with you soon, I guess, in the third quarter. And uh, well, you know, thank you again for your time today. Yeah, no, thanks for the support, and, and stay well, everyone. Thank you.